take your Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Uh, we've been doing this for a long time, and uh, I don't apologize for that because this is what we do. This is who we are. Uh, we're people that make disciples. And, and I, I have found that sometimes we, we'd rather talk about uh, other things like worship and all. And I love those things. I love to speak on those things. But I tell you, we're going to hit tragedy in the church when we find that there is no pastors, leaders in the next generation going forth to do the work of God because we didn't make disciples. So let me explain to you what a disciple is. After Christ reaches you and leads you and loves you and all those things, he brings us to, I don't want to say a finished product, that that would be the wrong thing to say because we never arrive. You know what I'm saying? Is God working on you guys? He's always working on us. I, I never get to the place where it says, look, this is, this is the masterpiece of God, you know. But, but I know he's always working on me. But I, I can tell you that a disciple is someone that may, encounters the Lord and all of a sudden I find my identity in Christ. I'm, I'm no longer trying to figure out who I am or why I'm here. I, I find my purpose in Christ. I find my belonging in Christ. You know, people, people are trying to fit in everywhere in the world and and I realize I'm a child of God. I realize that I'm, I'm doing the mission of God. And I, I realize that I'm called by God. And for people that are in the world, and we get so upset, man. We're these crazy people that sit there and they don't know if they're a boy or a girl. And they don't know if they're this or that. And we get so mad at them. You know why they feel that way? Because they've not yet met the master that teaches them who they are. We get so upset. We get so worked up about this. So we pulled this out. Last week, and I said, it's, it's hard to visualize what a, what a Christian looks like. But what, what if we use the example of a chair? Because honestly, this started off as just a, a, a chunk of wood. But over time, when Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know, what, you know what Jesus was doing? He was working on those disciples and transforming them and renewing their mind and changing their heart. And putting a new mission, a new identity in their life, when at the end of it, you're not the same person you were. I've got purpose. I've got design. I've got a function. We're different. But I worry because I think a lot of times we're not seeing the product of disciples in the church because we're not willing to do, and I'll go into what we did last week. What does it take to make disciples? I'm going to tell you guys right now, it takes work. It, it, it takes work. It, it takes work to, to, to get out there. And I use this illustration. We'll do it again. It takes work to go out there into the world and find somebody. Because chairs don't grow on trees. That if, you're, if you're waiting for this to be born in your house or this to just naturally happen, it doesn't work that way. Here's what God gives us. And don't, don't take this like I'm, I'm knocking people that don't know Christ and saying, oh, look, you're nothing but a piece of wood. I'm not saying that. Just for the illustration of what God does in our life is God takes that person. God took the disciples. God took that woman at the well, and it started with this. When our kids are born, they start like this. They, they don't have the character. They don't know the ways. They don't, they don't have the love for God. They start like this. And then we start working on it. It, it, it takes work, and I'll tell you, it gets messy. Jesus is encountering this woman at the well, and he starts talking about how she'd been married five times, and how the man she's with now is not her own. Let me tell you, if you're going to help people, you're going to have to realize it's going to get messy. But I'm afraid of this. 
I'm afraid when we see messy situations, for us as Christians, we're like, whoa! It's like, hey, I want to keep my kids, and, and we don't want that in our church. That's exactly where they should be. I, I think we've lost the principle of this where we come in here and we're all dignified and got it all together and we wear our, our, our nice clothes and carry our big Bibles and we sit there and we know all the words of the song. It's only by the grace of God you're where you're at. You have not arrived. You're not a big shot. You're, you're not better than anybody else. I've said this and I'll say it many times. You know who you are as a Christian? You are a beggar going out to tell the other beggars where you found the bread. I love how Jesus ministered to people. You want to know how to be who God wants you to be? Just mimic Jesus. Don't mimic the big shot TV preachers. Don't mimic what you see in the world. Don't mimic. Just try to be like Jesus. Take self-sacrifice. Jesus is sitting on that well while they all run in to get meat to eat. Jesus is weary of his journey, the Bible tells us, but he sits there in the heat of the day. I'm, let me tell you guys, if you think as a parent that it's naturally going to happen, you're wrong. To drive them to church, to drive them to activities, to sit down and teach them what's right, to build character, to, to take them aside and let them know what it takes in their life. It's not just a matter for us as moms and dads just raising them in church. It's investing in their lives every single day. Let, let me show you. I, I didn't bring this out, and I'm not trying to make this about parenting, but I'll tell you, parenting sure is a good illustration of this. In Deuteronomy 11, 19, don't turn, they're just listening. You shall teach it them to your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house. So here, here's the illustration. When you're sitting in your house, and we, we get all wigged out about it, and something comes on TV. You, you know what you do to your kids? You say, well, guys, you know that's not right. Or, or you, you teach them sometimes by, because turn, you turn it off. When thou rises up. Get up and teach them how to respect their mom. And you teach them to love God. And you teach them, guys, tomorrow's church and we're going to get up. But there's this on TV. No, tomorrow's church. When thou risest up, when thou goest by the way, when thou liest down and when thou rises up. See, any ministry that you're going to do that points people to Jesus is going to take self-sacrifice. Now that we know what it takes. And I I told you guys last week, we're going to start the steps. Because let me tell you. If we want to be disciples and we really want to know what a church is, I'm going to show you. Because our job as disciples is to take people and lead them to the process of becoming like Christ. To where they find their identity like we did. And they find their purpose like we did. And they love God like we love God. That, that's what our God, job is to do as Christians. Turning your Bible to John chapter 4. and We're going to go right back to this story. Because chairs don't grow on trees, okay? Chairs don't grow on trees. To, to make a chair, you start with the rough things. The, the, the same way that Jesus illustrated in this passage what's going on. But I want to give you guys a warning before we get into this. And I'm, I'm going to take some time to do this. I fear that we're seeing tragedy in our churches and tragedy in our homes. Because what we do with our kids is this. Well, this is what we do sometimes. We take what we find and we drag them and want them to be this. You don't drag people to Jesus. If if you've been doing that, you're going to have this at the end of the day and they should be like this and they're going to be this. And you go, what's wrong with them? I raised you in church. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that success comes from raising your kids in church. 
Nowhere. You will not find that in the Bible. And so I don't know what happened to my kid. He grew up in church. You can stand in a garage for the rest of your life and not be a car. Why do we have that mindset that bringing them in there, it's what we do in church that makes the difference. And I, I think we, we have this twisted mindset and this twisted perspective. You don't convince people to, to fall in love with God. Did you guys know that? Have any of you ever had somebody try to hook you up with somebody? Have you, have, has anybody ever tried to set you up with somebody before? And they go, I got the perfect person for you. And you go, oh, great. Yeah, this is going to be really good. And I said, no, I'm serious. I, I promise you, they, they got a great personality, and I could so see you two together and all this other thing. You're like, no, thank you. But I remember when Jen and I first met, nobody, nobody hooked us up. It was just a, a random thing that we, were, that we met. Am I making you nervous when I tell stories like this? No. She'll tell you it was the greatest day of her life. Is that how you tell? Well, since I'm up here, I'll just tell it the way that I think you would tell it, since you're not up here. I, I, re, I remember meeting her, and all of a sudden, there was characteristics about her that made me take a second look. And all of a sudden, we were, it was this, this was on a Friday night, and Saturday, we, me and my guy friends, we went to the mall, and we're eating in the food court, I remember sitting at this table, and I remember telling the guys, I said, you know that one girl? I said, she, Jenny, I think her name was, I said, I can't stop thinking about her, she caught my attention last night. And from all of a sudden, from my attention being captured, it began to affect my heart and mind, and I, I wanted to see her again. And I remember us planning the event the next day, where we went out and did some stuff, and we met at uh, the bowling alley and stuff like that that was on campus at, at college. And I remember that just being there that night, I began to like her. I'm not saying that I loved her, but I definitely began to like her. And the more that I was around her and the more that I talked to her, I began to like her a lot. And the more that I began to like her a lot because of what I experienced. Are you guys getting this? What I experienced. It's, it's not that somebody came out and said, you should really like her. No, no, no. I, I, I encountered her. And from that encounter with her, I began to see her love and see her character and, and, and fall in love with who she was. It wasn't forced. Nobody was twisting my arm and saying, tell her you like her, tell her you like her. That we do a lot of times when we lead people to Christ. You, you, you should be in church and I taught you better than that. Okay, okay, okay. And eventually they're like, I'm done with this. You know why? You missed the target. It was their heart, not their head. It wasn't the motions of making them go into a building. It was them being affected with the love of God. I remember the day that I was going to tell you that I loved you. I'm not going to tell the whole story. Because <laughs> I was trying to bait her for her to tell me first. It, it just, do you remember that? Okay, I'm getting looks right now. It's not going to be good lunch. <laughs> and I remember breaking down and I said, I love you. I, I, I needed to know, I, I wanted that back. You know, you know what, in the back of everybody's mind, they want to be loved and they want to be accepted. You know why most people will not take that step of an engagement or saying the words of that? Because I don't want to be rejected. 
Do you know how I know that I'm going to be accepted? Because of the love that I experienced leading up to that decision. Some of you are starting to catch on to where we're going with this. And I'll tell you, the day that I went from she caught my attention to I like her, to I like her a lot, to I love her. I can't live without her. I see a need in my life and I know that she fills the need and I can't live without her. I came to the spot where I committed my life to her on a stage of a church, something like this, where I said, till death do us part. And nobody was twisting my arm. Nobody was making me. Nobody was driving me. Nobody was, that's the great, best thing to do and you should get to know her and everything. You know what it is? From that walk of a relationship... I committed my life to her, and here in two, three months, two and a half months, whatever, we'll be celebrating 20 years of our anniversary. 20, yeah, that's right. Of her with this. There will be fireworks on that day in a celebration. You say, oh, wow, he got way, way off topic. The drastic change in the woman at the well's life came because she met Jesus. Not because she encountered religion. Not because somebody twisted her arm. Not just because somebody told her she was a sinner. She encountered what was missing in her life and her eyes were open and her life began to be transformed from that. The Bible says that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Let me tell you guys, we're starting over here and this is what we did last week. And our goal is over there of a transformed life that's in the image of God, that loves God and loves others and serves both and all those things. But let me tell you, this is where our target is. If you skip this, You have nothing on the other side. Do you understand that? Because this is where everything happens. This is where the transformation comes in. This is where commitment is. This is the beginning of everything. And that's what we find in this. See, the heart is the core of of our relationship. It's the source of belief. It's where our relationship with God is. It's not a church experience. It's not a baptismal experience. It's not good words. Not good deeds. Not good actions. It's a relationship with God. It's a relationship with God. It must begin in their hearts. How do we do this? That's the thing. Because you can't make somebody love somebody. Do you guys know that? You cannot make somebody love somebody. I I, want to go in, and I know I have a long introduction and really a short message at the end of this. But I want to break something down. You know why we don't reach people? Because we don't understand people. I'm going to tell you right now, we don't understand. Some of us have been saved so long that we don't get this at all. You know what we're, we're better at doing? We're actually, as Christians, we stand there and we get upset at that. We're aggravated. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they just put that on TV. I can't believe she acts that way. I can't believe they dress that way. We're, we're, we're like this with those people. We don't get where they're at. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you where the woman at the well was when she was walking on that six, eight, ten mile journey to that well on that day or however long it was in Ephesians 4.18. And I'm, I'm just building, I know this is all introduction, but listen to this. The Bible says, if I'm going to explain where she was leading up to this, 
having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Their understanding is darkened. They can't see it. You want them to look like that and have the morals and the character and the actions and all that other stuff, and they're over here. They don't see that at all because this is where change happens. You guys get that? You're you're mad at them over here, but they're not going to see that until they get here of a relationship and they fall in love with God. They're alienated from the life of God, which means that they're far off. Jesus knew where she was. That's why he went to her. They're not just walking in church going, hey, I'm on my way to hell. Somebody lead me to Jesus. Wouldn't that be nice? They're out there. You say, why aren't they just piling into the church? The Bible says because of the ignorance that is in them. That's not being derogatory. It's just meaning that they don't get it. They have not experienced the light or the truth to conform them. So all of these issues that we're so upset about, they don't get it. But we sure do get mad at them about it. Are these things bad? Yeah, they're bad. But it's natural and normal to them because they don't get it. Let me tell you what bothers me, that we often attack the issues when Jesus rather was, a, was addressing their hearts. You guys realize how much we do that? They see more signs of us boycotting the issues. Of, ah, ah, ah. Jesus wasn't at the woman of the well. God hates fornicators. God hates fornicators. And I know I'm going to ruffle some feathers this morning, but let me tell you, if you want to lead people and connect to people, you better do it Jesus' way. I don't care who writes an article or who says what on Facebook. Jesus is our example. He's our example. And I yet to see a lot of our practices practiced by Jesus himself. I'm just being honest. I wonder how many people would come to us in front of an abortion clinic of us screaming in their face about their sin. Yeah, that's who I'm going to... What must I do to be saved? As you scream to me about my sin and the fact that I'm broken in my heart and I'm going in there weeping at a seat. Go ahead and scream in my face. Because that's what compels me to be around you. Whatever whatever you've got that makes you scream in my face, oh, I want that so bad. Are we crazy? What has happened to us? Where does God ever scream in the face of lost people? Say, so, well, we can't ignore their sin. No, we're not the, we're not the live unrighteous. We're, we're to be holy because he is holy. We're not to turn our back on sin and ignore it like that's not. But I tell you, there's a way that we have to understand because they are alienated from the life of God. They are blinded to their sin. Because of the blindness of their heart. Do you know what the blindness of their heart is? That word blindness also comes from the same word means calloused. They're calloused. So so let me explain this to you. When they're coming up to us because they know how much we hate sin and how much God hates sin and how much all this stuff. this This is how they walk through the world with us as Christians. I'm serious. Watch people that are unchurched people come into church. They're going to come in just like this. I know I'm a sinner. I know. I know I fail. I live with it every day. I know I've messed up. I look at myself in the mirror and I'm reminded all the time. I know how I am. 
They're calloused. They're hurting. They've got their, their fists. I'm, I'm going to prove it to you as we get there. And you say, well, how did Jesus do it then? The guard is up. She came in blind, searching, thirsty, and lost. John 4, 6. Oh, Jacob's well is there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied of his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. I'm telling you right now, there's some, something amazing and powerful is happening right now in this passage. And you're saying, yeah, he asked her for a drink of water. Then, then we're not getting it. Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into them into the city to buy me. And then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it thou, being a Jew, ask me, ask me to drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with us Samaritans. Now in their history, back in their history, they were taken over by the Assyrians, brought into captivity. Now the good Jews came out and they were like, oh, we don't want any of that. And the Samaritans, they started marrying the Assyrians and the other idol worshipers. Then they begin to have children with them and their children to have children with them. And they begin to take on their idols and their false religions and now you got the group over here, the Jews, looking at the Samaritans. Now, don't take anything that I'm, I'm going to say. I'm telling you just the culture of it. They were half-breeds. They were mutts. They were defiled. They dabble in the world and dabble in false religion. That's, that's why they despise them so much. So much. You know how we say that Jesus went out of his way to go through Samaria and actually wasn't out of his way. It was shorter. But the thing is, the Jews hated the Samaritans so bad that they would go around Samaria so they didn't have to have anything in the dealing with the dealings of those mutts, the disgusting, the, the defiled things that they do. It's like, oh, gross. You know how we often or the world perceives us with them when somebody is gay a Christian comes up, they're, they're walking up to us like this because they know how ooh, disgusting. Please take in context of what I'm saying. I'm talking about how a lot of people think. Or they have issues. They have addictions. But I'll tell you, they also have a soul that needs Jesus. I'm telling you what they have. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was perfect and look good. That's what he came to... Oh, actually, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. What are you looking for? Something that's all cleaned up and spit and polished and has it all together? That's not what Jesus came for. So here's this woman at this well, and they would actually, 70 miles was the estimated journey. 70 miles would be like uh, 14 and a half hours. The path that they would often take doubled the trip to 140 miles that they would go out of their way to avoid them. And the Samaritans knew it. They knew that when somebody came in with a Jew, they would be waiting and bracing for, oh, go ahead and call me a half-breed. Go ahead and tell me about my family, how I'm defiled and how disgusting I am. Go ahead. I'm waiting for it. So yeah, Jesus is on this, on this well. And here comes this woman. 
You want to know what was going through her mind? She was not only rejected of the Jews. She was rejected of her own people. Do you have any idea what's going through their mind when they walk into your church or your home or they're working around you and they find out that you're a Christian? You want to know what's going through their mind? I've been married five times. Not only do they hate the fact that we've been married to them, I did it five times. You know how even when nobody knows about your sin, but you're consumed with the sin and she's waking up and waiting until the sixth hour when the women actually would go in the morning and she's going in the heat of the day. Because I don't want to be around those women. I don't want to hear one more time how I'm a cheater and a liar and all the other words and stuff that they would say that I don't even say in church. That's what going through her mind. So, oh boy, what a day. Walk into the well and go, oh, okay, there's a man there. First of all, men didn't talk to women. She gets a little closer and goes, oh, it's a Jew. Oh, this is going to be fun. I wait till the heat of the day to go into the city to get water, and all of a sudden, now I have to deal with a Jew. You talk about the Jews not having any dealings with the Samaritans. The Samaritans didn't want to have any dealings with the Jews. That's like putting a Michigan person or a Buckeye in the same room. There's no way. Oh, now I've connected with you guys. They're like, oh, I get it. I get it. And she's sitting there going, uh-uh, oh, uh-uh, no way. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to go in here. I'm going to get my water, and I'm just going to pretend like he's not here or whatever. Because I'll tell you, if you didn't want to engage in somebody, you just don't talk to them. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts perking up and sitting there waiting on her. Waiting on her. After she's been walking in there talking to herself. Building her mind out. Have you, any of you guys ever talked to yourself before? That's okay. It's when you start arguing with yourself and then you lose the argument. That's when you need to go down and get checked out, okay? But, but leading up to that, she's, she, she's, she's talking to herself. And she's, she's walking up and she goes in there and she's keeping her cool and she's talking to herself. And she, she's, she's okay. Now, verse 6, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied of his journey, sat thus on the well and... It was about the six hours, hot. You come with a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me a drink. What? He starts off asking her to serve him. Now we're, we're sitting there going, Oh, yeah, he's really there to do something. Here he is sitting on there, and he's like, Hey, woman, come give me something to drink. And that's maybe how we perceive it. But I tell you, if somebody that you had nothing to do with and was way outside of your comfort zone and you, were, you, you treated them and despised and everything like that, came up and said, hey, you want to have coffee together? You'd be like, what? You, you, you're asking me? Let, let me show you what's going on here just so I don't get away from... I want to get you from there to here, okay? Here's... If we're going to lead them to love God, we must lead them with love. If you want to lead them to love God, you must lead them to love. You, you see, if you're going to ask somebody to drink, you're, you're asking for something of, of engaging with them as a traveler, as a friend, or a fellow Jew. 
Jesus now put that woman on his level of a connection. It was a gesture of care or concern. It was a way to connect in their culture of, can I have a drink? The same way if somebody walked in your house and you didn't want them hanging out or whatever, you'd just be like, well, thanks for stopping by. But if they were there and you wanted to engage with them, you would sit there and say, can I offer you something? Yes, now now you're going to get the understanding. And when Jesus says, the woman comes back and says, Ha, 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 I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew and you're a man. And now you're asking me, you, you want to, what? Let me tell you, our love ought to be so uncommon from the things of the world. It ought to capture their attention. It ought to turn heads. It ought to make people confused. It ought to baffle people. Because they have the idea that we, we strut around as all-together chairs and we go to church and that's why they call us holy rollers and you got it all together and you go to church and you think you're better than us and all of a sudden, Jesus just brought it all down to the same level. She's in shock. Jesus just captured her attention. Being treated like she's never been treated and in her mind is, I'm a sinner. I don't go to church. I don't, I don't do the things that you do. I am, I, I, if you only knew who I was, if you only knew what I've done, because not only am I a Samaritan, I'm worse than all the rest of them that are in Samaria. It's time to break the lies that Christians don't care about people with problems. Because I'm telling you, that's what Satan tells them. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 18, my little children, let us love not in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That's why I love people, do you? Don't tell me, show me. Don't tell me, show me. Because that's what the world is waiting on. We love in word and truth, and it's not, God hates sinners. God hates... Where is that in love and in deed? Or in truth? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son... Do you know the initial response to anybody that God meant was the love of God? You say, why, 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 why is this so important? Because you can't give truth when they're like this. Do you understand that? You're never going to give truth when they're like this. You're never going to reach their heart when they have a wall up against it. And this is how we do it. And a lot of times, well, I went out witness to people. Not one person listened to me. That's because you, you got encountered a whole crew of people like this. They're all like that. So here's what Jesus is doing. He's connecting with them. Here he is through asking for water and all these things. And let me tell you, it goes deeper than this. Later, she's sitting there observing Jesus and she says, Sir, the well is deep and you have nothing to draw water with. Oh my goodness. When Jesus asked her for a drink, you know what he had the drink from? Her cup. You talk about like, what? I'm a mutt. I'm a mess. I'm a Samaritan. And Jesus says, can I have your cup? Can I drink from your cup? I'll tell you, when we get off our high horse, I think we'll start reaching people. That's when we, when we start seeing where people are coming from and understanding their hurts. And understanding she wasn't running off the five different husbands just because she wanted to, but she was looking for something. She came there thirsty. 
And I'm not just talking about for water. She was, she was craving. She was wanting something. And that's the truth of everyone that we meet. Jesus connected with her. But I want to show you the next thing that he did is he cared for her. It's one thing for what she experienced so far of, okay, you're going to talk to me. You're being nice to me. You haven't called me a name. You, you haven't called me all the things that were used to being called by Jews and everything. But then all of a sudden, verse 10 comes, and oh my goodness. And Jesus answered unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Jesus turns around and he's like, Oh, by the way, I'm not here for what you can do for me. I'm here for what I can do for you. Oh my goodness, a Jew is going to give me something. <laughs> okay, what is the catch? What's going on here? You see, we, we, we're to serve. We're to love. And love is an action. They come in with their guard up and they're worried that they're not dressed like and they're, they're worried that they smell like smoke and they're worried about where they've been the day before and they're worried about if their eyes are bloodshot. And all of a sudden, Jesus said, I'm not looking at all that. I'm looking at your heart. Because that was the target of Jesus. He said, well, she was a sinner and she needed to change her ways. All that happened after this happened, okay? God wasn't ignoring the problems. God was just reaching her heart first. Remember, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. I am the love of God to the world. I am the light. I am the ambassador. I am salt. I'm the child of God. I am the representative. And if he came to love the world, it is our job to go love the world. In their mess, in their sin, in their addictions, in their problems, in the middle of their issues. We love them. I know we boycott problems and sin. But you better be careful that you're not boycotting sinners. Because it's a hard thing to distinguish between when they're holding on their sin and you're yelling that that's wrong, that they're not sitting there thinking that I'm wrong. Something's happening in them. I don't know people that sit there and say, our, our pastor's gone all soft on us. He, he's turned his back on sin and all this. Um, and can we just get back to Jesus? Before you start judging me, because I tell you, Jesus didn't ignore her sin. But he sure knew how to get her guard down to, in order for her to receive truth. Are you broken for those that are caught up in sin? Are you worked up and mad at them for it? Because true love pulls people to Jesus. It doesn't drive them from it. We must lead them to love. And here's our second and final thought. We must lead them with truth. Why is the first point so important? Because in order to reach her heart, she had to know that Jesus cared. Nobody is going to listen to a thing you have to say until they know that you care about them. You want to come to me and tell me that I've got an ugly haircut? Come to me and let me know that you love me first. You know, if somebody came up on the street and says, hey, dude, you're ugly. I'm going to be like, you're, you're ugly too. <laughs> but if, if somebody that cared about me came up to me and they were to say, hey, Tony, can I talk to you? I saw something. I'm going to respond to it because I know that they care about me. Do you, do you realize what's happening in this story? She went from the fact that I'm nasty 
I'm rejected. I'm unwanted to give me a drink. And I have something for you. And I'm a Jew and I want to talk to you. And all of a sudden she's sitting there going, oh, okay. There's something different about you. The world ought to see something different about us when we serve them. Let me tell you how that looks like in here. You know why we make a big deal out of everything that we do? Because when, from the time they pull into a, a, a building that says the word church on it, they walk in like this. I'm about to come in all the Jews in there, okay? And I know how they feel about what I do, and I know how they feel about who I am, and all this. They come in like this, and all of a sudden, people are out in the parking lot saying, hey, we're glad you're here. You're glad I'm here? He doesn't know where I was last night. And then they walk through and saying, hey, you can have my seat. Why don't you sit here? And and you know what? Can I help you? Can I serve you? Can I love you? Can I lead you? Can I do anything for you? And all of a sudden, they're sitting there. And they know, okay, it's okay here. That no, nobody's looking at me, nobody's judging me, that, that they must have something that I need, and they're about to give me something, and it's okay for us to do that, because Jesus comes in with something else now. He starts off with the love that he gives, but then he starts in with the truth. Now I'm going to show you something, that these next verses connect. Have any of you started talking about something, I do this all the time, and the guys make fun of me for it. I'll be, I'll be zoned in a conversation, then the next thing I'm talking about ice cream, Okay. I, I, I know that some of you are like that, but I, I, something will come into my mind and I've got a short attention span and if I don't get it out right then, I, I've lost. Jesus was not doing that here. Now notice the, actual, notice the progression of this conversation. And Jesus said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst But the water that I shall give him shall be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now water was something that internally we have a desire. We we need it. We want it. It's a thirst. It's a craving. If you don't have it, you you feel that need and you start looking for it. She's thinking, wow, I come here. I I have a thirst and I I come here for water all the time. So you've intrigued me because I have a need in my life. The real need in her life was not water. Because she was trying to fill the need in all the wrong ways. That's why Jesus said unto her, and she said, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. Now all of a sudden, it looks like the conversation just changes in the other direction, but it didn't. Jesus is still addressing the need in her life. But he was drawing an illustration. You guys understand that where we learn to give illustrations came from Jesus. Because we put it on the level that we all understand. We put it on a level of communicating. Jesus wasn't just up there sitting there giving a Bible story. He was up there giving truth of the word of God and giving it in such a way they would get it. And Jesus draws a parallel now. And Jesus is addressing the truth in her, uh, of her need. And the woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said, thou hast said, well said. I have no husbands, for thou hast had five husbands. And whom... That thou was with now was not thy husband. And then thou saidst truly. Was God exposing her sin? Yes. But there was something more to it. God was connecting to her heart of a thirst that she was trying to fill. Let me tell you the truth about the world. They they have a need and a desire in their life and a, a thirst in their life that they're trying to fill in all the wrong places. 
She just knew I want to be loved and accepted. And some guy comes along, gives her attention and all this other stuff. And she's like, I love you. And all of a sudden he's done with her and dumps her to the side. You know why? Because those people that they were marrying were not of God and he did not love with God's love. And all of a sudden she goes to the next guy and this is going to work. And the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. And you know what's something interesting about this? Women did not go get divorces. Men divorced their wives. Women did not divorce their husbands. Rejected once. Rejected twice. Rejected, rejected, rejected. All her life was was being rejected. And all of a sudden when she encountered Jesus, she found a place of acceptance. Because what she needed in her life, what she was thirsty for, and what God was saying, you're never going to find it in these men. You're never going to find it in a drug. You're never going to find it in the world. But I'm telling you, after we love on people, we're able to sit there and give them truth because their guard is dropped to be able to be receptive of people caring about them. That's why the Bible says, speak the truth in love. In love. Because God loved the world and God cared about the world and God wants them to know truth. So here she is. And God's given the truth and God confronts this. And let me tell you, the word of God is quick and it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And let me tell you, it pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints of marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. See, Jesus showed care and concern and love and connected and served her. And then Jesus begins to give her truth. The same way do we do every Sunday morning, where we love in deed and then we love in truth. The truth of what we sing on the screen, the truth of what we show in our words and our actions, the truth of what I get up and do, the truth of what the guys will come out and do when they're sharing a verse. God is speaking to their hearts and they receive it from God's people because we are the ambassadors of God's love. And I'll tell you, there's a second truth that God gives her in the middle of this. In John 4 verse 20, notice this is what exactly happens. And she's like, okay, I guess I need to go to church. I get what you're saying because that's people have it all mixed up. I'll tell you, what God was trying to sell her was not the church. Our fathers worship, verse 20, in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. She saith unto the woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither worship, neither in this mountain nor in the, and yet at Jerusalem, worship the Father. Ye worship, you know not what. We know that the, ye worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father seeketh such a worship. God is a spirit. And they that worship him shall worship him in spirit and truth. She makes it about where to worship, which is religion. Jesus made it about who to worship, which is a relationship. It's not about getting them indoctrinated into Fellowship Baptist Church. It's about connecting them to the love of God. You say, What is going on? It's an amazing thing that starts to happen in this passage. See, let me me just lead you through the progress of this. Everything began to change. She knew the truth of her need. And she said, give me this water that I may never thirst again. And God begins to transform her life. 
Can I back up and just show you the steps of this? And you're saying, I don't, I don't know if this works. Because our, our goal is to build a relationship with him. Our goal is for them to love God. Our goal is for them to, to love him because he first loved them. And I'm the one that gives that message to her. But let me show you what happens here. Back up to verse 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it thou, being a Jew, ask me to drink? Starts off with, you're a Jew. You're one of those religious people that you don't have any dealings with us. And then God loves her. God shows her care and concern and genuine love. Verse 19, it begins to change. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Wait a minute, you're different. (laughs) Something's different about you. I can tell you talk to God. Prophet is the real deal. I feel something different. I've not heard this. I've not felt this before. In verse 29, come see a man. She told me all the things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? She went from a Jew to a prophet. So you got to get some of this. She left her water pots because she got what she came for. She got what she was missing. Are we the love of God? Then let me ask you, how do you, how do you treat sinners? How, how do you treat those that walk through the door of the church like this because they've got their guard up. And how are we ever going to get them over here unless we get them here first? Our job is to lead them to love God.